Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Ben Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Uh-huh. Also joining us, Jed Brew, the director of Mission USA Productions. Greetings. That's all the way to Mercury, Tennessee. One of the pastors of Christ Church, Lee Younger. Look, I realize it's not Gripesgiving, but uh, there's some people in the back parking lot of the church, I'm assuming they're youths, uh, doing the donuts in the cars, and I'm against that. Ah, yes. Joy, the worst human trait. Yes. I will say, and I agree, I hate Joy too. One particular aspect of Joy that the youths don't always think through as someone who's been to the back parking lot of the Triple C there is that's a gravel parking lot. <laughs> this is this activity also is small. gonna this yeah, this activity is gonna involve shrapnel. They're they're training for rally racing. It's a whole thing. <laughs> there's there's also uh there's also like a power pole right in the middle of it. There's oh. real there's really no room for donuts. <laughs> yeah, this is going to turn into a, a local news story one way or the other. Either blackout or gravel flung through old lady's car that's parked on the street. But we soldier on, yes. nonetheless. Bravely. Bravely indeed. And I think courage is an important point to transfer us in to, unfortunately, a state of emergency. Oh, whoa. And this is... The opposite of courage. This is cowardice in many ways. <laughs> this is, we've, we've taken a trip to a, a little company called the Amazon.com. Ah, I've heard oh, of it. You uh, may remember it from the 90s. Is it uh, headquartered in, in Brazil? Yes. Possibly for tax purposes. Okay. Right. Um, so you go to the Amazon and they have, you know, things they sell. Uh, they have, you know, the big name things. Also, you can start your own little store. Right. You can use your wares, a digital marketplace, if you will. Sure. So we have a friend, uh, we have someone found. This is a company that makes like uh, uh, car wood carvings with oh. like the motivational quotes on them. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, you know, it's about having a happy home or, you know, it, you don't, you're not having to be crazy to work here, but it helping and such sure. things like that. Your classic Bible verses, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love, that kind of thing. Absolutely. When you get to the India rope, tie a knot and hang on. That's right. Inspirational. <laughs> and they will be cast into the darkness of the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. I may have grown up in a weird house, but, you know, Bible <laughs> yeah. verses like that. Yeah. I can't tell you how happy it would make me if someone had that <laughs> on a delightfully carved wooden plaque. Just Although, all the- Matt, you do need to bring up that you, your home or a grandfather's home or something had a particularly unique wooden carving. Oh, yes. And I, I currently have my apartment uh, after uh, he passed away. Uh, my grandfather taught himself to car- do the wood carving, wood right. burning, as a matter of fact. Okay. And he uh, had one that was the phrase, uh, legitimate non carborundum, which is Latin for don't let the people whose parents might not be buried get you down. <laughs> okay. okay. Which he uh, proudly displayed in his house as people who walked by it and didn't get it. Oh, well, there you go. So if you've ever wondered where it came from, there you have an insight into how I became the way I am. Okay. Uh, Now, are they selling that on Amazon? uh, I've seen that sold in places. I don't think he came up with that idea. Okay, okay. But an an equally inspiring situation which someone sent us is a lovely faux cherry decorative carved wood sign quote. Classy. With the following statement on it. Jesus told the story of the prodigal son to make a simple point. Never mind what you've done, just come home. Now that Whoa. sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. <laughs> sounds pretty smart. Heard yeah. that. I believe I've seen that on uh, the Instagram of a Greek media magnate. Yeah. On a, uh, the Facebook of a uh, Christian radio station out of Baltimore. Right, right. Of all places. But where did it begin? Where indeed? Well, read the bottom of the plaque. What does it say? Unattributed. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's the wisdom of the ages. Okay. I believe that started at your friendly uh, local uncaglenn.com. Oh. It may have been. Yes. Where that original quote came from. Yes. And now, Glenn, uh, as the proprietor of this, I noticed that our the company that shall go nameless because I don't understand libel law well enough to name them, uh, is charging thirty nine ninety four. Oh boy! For this, yeah, it's a high quality wooden plaque. Yeah, right. So, what's your cut of that, Ben? Well, so far uh, zero. Oh. Uh, also, I did not know about it until uh, about twenty four hours ago. So oh. That that might have been the key reason why. 
I thought maybe this is the way you were going to tell us you took up wood carving. <laughs> no, 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 that was, uh, I, I'm flattered. Yes. That's... I, I, I'm flattered. Sure. Uh, yet so you that. are unpaid. I am definitely unpaid. <laughs> you know, it's like I always wanted, like as a little boy, you know, you have dreams as a sure. boy. I said, one day, I wonder if it's possible that I could be exploited. Sure. I was like, maybe, probably not. But you know what? Dreams can come true. The thing I love about this, you're right, dreams can come true, is of all the industries that could have exploited you, you know, yeah. music, yeah. Uh, movies, uh-huh. sports world, yeah. wood carving. Right. That's the one that got you. <laughs> they, I would not have put money down on wood carving as right. the one to break on De- through to the other side. Decorative, uh, decorative uh, uh, gift care, giftware. That's, yeah. that's, yeah. that's not where we saw this going. Glenn's been crushed under the heel of Big Knickknack. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying: Hobby Lobby's if, getting him down. This I, I need people listening to this to understand this. Of all the people on the planet who have said things that should never be carved in anything, it's me. Yeah, you know what I mean. Sure, I've said a lot of inappropriate things. I mean, many, many times. Uh, so there is that it's, it's a, it's an unlikely occurrence. Uh, but here's what offends me about this is we on this podcast rip off other people. Sure. Other people don't rip us off. Sure. That's not how this works. That's topsy turvy. That's up is down. Black is white. That's right. You don't think. So what I'm thinking is I'm going to go on Amazon, right? Because I'm going to open my store on Amazon, see how they like it, okay? And I'm going to order a picture, or I'm going to order a, 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 the, the, the wood carving sure, sure. of my own unattributed quote right. on it that they're selling for money for $40 sure. for a hunk of wood. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy it, and then I'm going to have it, right? Yeah. Then I'm going to, they deliver it, I'm going to hold it next to me, with a face, yeah. put a face with it, and I'll take a picture. Right. Then I'm selling pictures of it on Amazon. <laughs> I'm incepting this thing. You don't even know. You think you're getting to me? I'm getting to you. I'm ripping off your ripoff of my ripoff of the ripoff. You a scam right? within a scam. That's right. That's how we do. For only thirty-eight fifty. So scamming and undercutting. That's right. And 100% of the proceeds go to not this guy, <laughs> whoever whoever's doing it on Amazon. I would love a person who, you know, and you could do this easily in this case, but a person who took a, a, a wooden plaque and put a quote in it that was from them and then put the references just me. Right. I would, right. I would love that. Yeah, E equals MC squared. Me. Me. That's right. <laughs> well, yeah. it's the, uh, it's the uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. Right. That's, that's <laughs> right. It's the next yeah. level down. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, I think the other... Uh, Area of opportunity for us, if we're going to yeah. open the Uncle Glenn General Store here and oh, yeah. stolen quotes, yeah. is apparently, I wonder if they think maybe we'll get away with this because it's, uh, it's very genteel mm. and like a very kind of, you know, crafty kind of thing. So maybe that kind of takes the edge off the plagiarism. Yeah. So maybe famous quotes from history, but put them in just really kind of nice ways. Okay. So, you know, a candle holder with the famous Christian quote from Genghis Khan, I am the flail of God. Had you not <laughs> yeah. sinned so greatly, God would not have visited a punishment like me upon you. Right. That, um, that gives you a little something to think about when you're, when you're lighting the candle. And there could be like a dove in the background. Yes. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there you go. Well, <laughs> one of the thoughts that I had was, why don't you uh, reach out to this, this guy who's selling this thing and say, uh-huh. okay, you can have the quote and sell the plaque, but right. you also have to sell other plaques with some of my other quotes. Oh, I'm going to send you ah. a list. Yeah. I like it. I well, like it. Yeah. What sort of, what, what should we send them next to carve into <laughs> faux cherry for 40 bucks? Just remember that there could be meetings off of the rest of this conversation. Oh, yeah. That's... Well, there's, there's probably already been a meeting about this one because it happened in public, and I've, I was chastised 
by Glenn for cutting it out of the bridge podcast. We may bring it up here as we recently had a, a, a in the fairly recent past, a, <laughs> a subject at the bridge about someone asking a question about being bisexual. Right. And Glenn was making the very wise and spiritual and empathetic point. There's, you know, God does not hate anyone of any sexualities. That's right. Yeah, you're heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, trisexual. That's when you'll try anything. That's <laughs> right. I tried to slide that in there. Yes. Like I wasn't going to notice yes. and then not put that in the, Sermon feed for our <laughs> podcast, I try but to, maybe it could have a home as yeah. a cherry wood carving. There you go. Whether you're bisexual, trisexual, parentheses meaning you'll try anything. <laughs> sure. And, brackets. Uh, yeah, brackets. Yeah, that that's uh, that could inspire a lot of people to be like, you know, they put that up in their place of business. Sure. Of like, we don't discriminate. That Absolutely. Kind of thing. Sure. You know, I think that's be very nice. Well, I do think the 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 classic Glenn Fitzgerald quote of Nobody is allowed to have any feelings. Right. You know, that could be something you could display yeah. in the office or in the, you know, in, in, somewhere in the house. It would make yeah. sense. Yeah, I think that would, be, that would be good. Like a nice kind of lace doily. That's right. With Glenn's glowering face on it. I, I, I have said at staff meeting many times, here is this, feel free to have no opinion about it. Sure. So, you know. Maybe like stationary with that yeah. printed on it? That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, be advised, the following you should not have any opinion about. I, I, think, that's, I think that's very good. I think, this, I think we have a whole cottage Uncle Glenn inspirational industry coming out of yeah. here via yeah. the method of crafty knickknacks. Yeah. Yeah. And it really does feel like that would be depressingly successful. Oh, yeah. As there's yeah. so many of the crazy ideas we have on this show. Well, I I think uh, if, if we we say this often on the podcast, and it bears repeating, we're all about that sweet sweet cash. Totally. As the as the uh, as the as the kids say today, it's that sweet cheddar. Sure. Uh, which is a reference to ancient times when people used cheese as currency. I don't think that's what that is. These are the kind of observations that got you in trouble with the Swiss. <laughs> that's, that's also true. Uh, but, uh, you know, we can't have other people exploiting us. No, man. You know what I'm saying? That's our territory. Absolutely. We exploit you. Yes. So let's, let's keep that clear. Yeah. Knitted samplers with unattributed Joel Osteen quotes and the Say That logo. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what it's about. Just or, whenever he tweets, we knit it. Here we go. Here, because you got to merchandise, you got to tie in synergy. Yeah. Joel Osteen, quote, branded dental floss packets. Yes. Oh, yes. Wow. Yes. Travel toothpaste, toothbrushes. Yep. That's yep. the winning idea, dude. That's, That's we, it. We, we, we did it. Yeah. We, we brought did, it around. We clear. Have your best smile now. Yes. Yep. yep. Now. Yep. Put that on Amazon. Yeah. That's right. We're going to make a million dollars. Yes. Trademark, say that. Emergency off. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you got to do that. Or that's right. Someone yeah, rip yeah. it off. That's... Patent pending, patent pending, patent that, pending. That's right. We don't have a legal department, but I just say patent pending after we say everything, and that seems to right. cover us so far. Ricky Bobby Inc. <laughs> that's right. Well, hopefully, again, hopefully, we'll have those ready to go in time. The Joe Lustein VSA That branded dental care kit. Hopefully we'll have that ready to go by the time the August Bridge Box comes out. But um, we, we really do need to get a legal team in place before we try that. So that could take longer. But we're going to have, without regardless, we're going to have songs, Bible studies, sermons, all sorts of great stuff. In the month of August, we're talking about how to have hope. We have so, uh, sermons from Glenn and myself, songs from uh, Lee, Jed, Prince Pete and Tasha, some other very talented folks, a little Bible study, all sorts of good stuff based on the topic of hope for the month of August. You want to sign up and get in on that? MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. Only $8 a month. Again, it is the number one way that folks who like the podcast support what we do up here in Chicago and what lead us down there in Tennessee. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. Hang on this all the way to the end. I'll give you some ways to get in touch with this. First question comes in anonymously, and it says, Hi there. I'm a bit confused about what Jesus said in Matthew 8, 21 to 22. It sounds like Jesus is, was not sympathetic of his disciple and asked him to leave his father for dead. Why did Jesus say that? Does this mean I might have to leave my family to fend for themselves if I choose to follow Jesus? And before I throw this to, to Lee to start us off, I'll, I'll read the, the 
passage in question here. This is Matthew 8, 21 and 22, reading from the NIV. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. At least on the face of it, there's uh, no doubt that let the dead bury their own dead sounds pretty rough. Yeah. But, but what's this passage actually about? Yeah, that is, uh, you know, first of all, we're glad that you wrote in. Um, and and totally. that's exactly right. And, and, and you're exactly right. We, we love this kind of a question where either, either somebody wants to have, uh, you know, a continuing dialogue of, of something that we've said on the show, or just say, you know, like, hey, I, I read this thing in the scriptures and this looks really weird. This looks, this feels really off. Um, we, we, uh, we love those kinds of questions and it does, it it feels like Jesus is being really, really weird right here. Um, it feels like he's being cold to this guy. It feels like, well, the guy's dad is dead and he wants to, uh, you know, have the funeral for his family. And, and then after that point, come and join up with Jesus. So what is Jesus's problem here? And I think, I think there's a couple of things to talk about as we look at this one kind of um, kind of umbrella concept of the whole question is when I find myself confused um, when I'm looking at scriptures, particularly something that Jesus says or does, um, I don't want to just look at the narrow uh, situation of this one, just this one verse or this one passage. I want to bring everything about it, everything that I know about Jesus along for the ride with me as I'm looking at this. So I don't want to just say like, okay, this one thing, this looks like Jesus is being unsympathetic or cold. So that means I'm throwing everything else out um, because of what I'm reading here. I want to bring everything that I know about Jesus into this, into the equation as I consider this question as I, and as I think about it. So uh, do I know Jesus to act in a cold way toward people? Do I know Jesus to act in a cold way? Uh, or heartless way at funerals of people that he supposedly cares about. And immediately we start to think about uh, Jesus um, at the, the funeral of the, the widow, uh, the widow's son in the city of Nain, when he, you know, raised this guy from the dead or the, the funeral for his friend Lazarus, where he wept with his friends, uh, Martha and Mary at the death of their brother. So we, we start to realize, oh no, th- in context, I, I know that that's not, this is not typical for Jesus. There must be something going on here that I can't necessarily understand from just what I'm reading. And that's important because everything that, you know, anybody's conversation taken out of the context of what you know about them could be misunderstood at any time. And so it's important to kind of draw those those parameters around something that you don't understand. That being said, that's kind of a broad scope for when you feel confused, something to keep in mind. That being said, Jesus did ask people to follow him. And part of following, a part of discipleship is that you're submitting yourself to Jesus, that he is now the person who gets to call the shots. Um, and that's a that that is a relationship that's unlike any other relationship in your life that you're saying you have the right to tell me how things are going to go uh what we're going to do when we're going to do it how it's going to go down um that's an important thing to remember and i will tell you this in my experience especially in my experience as a pastor there have been so many folks in church that um, wisdom and the leading of the Holy Spirit and everybody that loves them would have said to them, you have a family dynamic going on that you need to walk away from immediately. Yeah. And, 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 and I can even say specifically in the last couple of years, I've seen some doozies around family funerals where the holiest thing and the healthiest thing that this person could have done is to say, you know what? I'm not even going to the funeral. And everybody in the family would have flipped out and said, that is unbelievable. You are such a cold-hearted person. But wisdom and the leading of the Holy Spirit and all sound advice and everything would have said, no, that's the healthy decision. This is a toxic situation with this family. This may be what's going on here beneath the surface. We don't know all the details of this dude's life. But I can definitely tell you, as a pastor, I've seen a whole lot of situations, a whole lot of doozies where some people needed to set up some boundaries with with their extended family, and they need to walk away from certain situations in order to have a healthy walk with Jesus where they're following following his lead. 
It's a really, really good place to start. That's a lot of great stuff. And Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because there's another thing that's going on here. And we talk, um, we make light and fun of a lot of bad preaching on this show. Sure. Because there's a lot of it out there and it's really the only defense mechanism we have left. But uh, one thing that good preaching does that a good uh, Bible commentary or a kind of a, a book will do is give you the right historical and cultural context for the story you're hearing yeah. to apply. And I think this is a type of passage where that's a important, that's an important thing to understanding it. Yeah. So what, what's the cultural background that's going on here? So we know what Jesus is actually saying. That's a great question. If you listen to the show for a while, you know that we are fans of William Barclay and the daily study Bible. It's awesome. It's great. He's a uh, Scottish seminarian and theologian from kind of the early to mid 20th century and very, very sharp guy. And so if you look up this passage in Barclay's book, what he describes is that one common understanding of this story uh, has to do with the phrase, first I must bury my father. It's possible that this is a literal thing, as in a man is saying to Jesus, my dad just died. I need to deal with the undertaker. But as soon as I've got that squared away, I'll be ready to rock. That's possible. Another reading, which might be more likely, is that this was a culture expression meaning, I need to take care of my familial responsibilities. I'm I'm a son, I have a father, I gotta make sure mom and dad are squared away, I gotta get everything in order. They're, they're not dying, they're not close to death, they're not sick, I just, I need to get them squared away, I need to take care of them. Once all of that is squared away, then we can look at this. Because I'm totally interested, but I got these large-scale responsibilities I got to take care of. And the shorthand way of saying that is, well, first let me bury my father, then we'll look at this. That's a, certainly a very likely thing that was going on in this story. And if you can dig it, that immediately makes a bit more sense of kind of what the, the deal is. So there's at least two takeaways here if we view it in that light. The first has to do with putting off the things that we're passionate about. Um, that never works. Basically, never, ever. Um, people all the time in all kinds of fields say, I've got this thing that I really care about, and I've got a passion for it. I've got uh, an excitement about it. It's a thing that I really, really want to do, but I need to do the responsible thing first. I need to get my ducks in a row. And that could be something that's related to family. I need to make sure my parents are squared away. That could be something related to, I got a, you know, basic economic routes. I got to pay off these school loans first. That could be related to, I've got to finish this degree first, but then I'm going to do the responsible thing. And then I'm going to go and do this thing that I care about. And very often that really doesn't work out. You know, very often people get in a track of doing this responsible thing and the next responsible thing and the next yeah. responsible thing after that. Um, and before you know it, they've kind of missed the window where they could do this thing that they cared about. And part of what I think Jesus is saying in this moment is if you feel the urge, if you feel the Holy Spirit within you stirring, urging you to, to follow, then let's do that. Let's, let's, let's rock. Um, because if we put it off, we may find that we keep finding reasons to put it off. We, we may find that we keep finding, um, excuses is the wrong word. Cause the funny thing is the reasons we put it off all make sense, but we keep finding the next responsible thing that we need to do instead of this thing that's burning in our hearts. And, and it's easy to quench that thing that's burning in our hearts to a point where, you know what, maybe I didn't really feel it that strongly to begin with. And then we just let it go. That's at least part of what is likely to be going on here. The second thing that goes right along with it is that this is a story more broadly about just cultural expectations. Everyone lives in the context of a culture. Everyone lives within the context of fairly unspoken rules of what is and isn't acceptable. And we, all of us, struggle with wanting God to abide by the rules of our culture. And Jesus is making it very clear, not just here, but throughout um, the Gospels, he is not going to abide by the rules of our culture. Say that. Um, to the contrary, he is definitely going to uh, demand and call us to violate the rules of our culture, and, and, and with good reason. I, I'll give you an example. We don't in our culture, in most, uh, in America, I should say, in America, it's not a common thing to look and say, I must take care of my parents' well-being um, before I can do anything else. That That's not a common thing in the way that it was in the culture of this story. But 
It's a smaller thing, but nonetheless, we do have a cultural expectation that in church, I must always be nice. Before all else, before I can do anything else, I must first of all be nice. Now, we talk to all kinds of people who work in ministry, and generally, if they're talking to us, it's because things aren't going very well, and they're, they're trying to sort out what to do with that. Nine times out of ten, the way forward is you need to have a confrontation with someone. That it doesn't need to be harsh. It doesn't need to be. It, it doesn't. It shouldn't be mean. But um, it doesn't need to be mean. It doesn't need to be harsh. There shouldn't be any yelling. But it's going to be a confrontation. You're, you're going to be communicating to a, to another person. This thing is not cool. And the problem with that advice is it violates that nice thing. It is you can't really be nice and confront people at the same time. And so we have this thing where our culture says one thing. Our culture says you must be nice. It would be it would be wrong. It would be morally wrong to not be nice. And then we have what God is calling us to do directly standing against that. So that's the other thing that we definitely can and should take away from the story is that God is going to ask us to violate those cultural norms, and he's also going to go with us through it. He doesn't leave us alone in that moment. He walks through that journey with us. He gets that. He knows that feels uncomfortable. He knows he feel, that feels weird to us, and he's prepared to walk the whole journey right there with us. It's a really great point, and Glenn, I think that's the perfect place to pick us up there is with that idea of violating cultural norms. I mm. think... Uh, another way of, of a longer uh, way of putting that is uh, Jesus, God and Jesus will always ask you to do things that to you don't seem right. Yeah. Um, and that's and right in that sense, not meaning moral or mm-hmm. meaning even correct, but just this is the way we do it. It is, mm-hmm. it is right to, you know, f- go all the way through the funeral situation, which is yeah. both Glenn, uh, both Lee and Jed point out uh, was pretty involved yeah, in first century Jewish culture, it For must sure. be, it must be said that was yeah. that was a week, if not months, long process. Right. Uh, the other part of that that I'd love you to speak to in that broader context, this idea that our, our friend asked the end question: Does this mean I also I will also have to leave my family to defend themselves if I choose to follow Jesus? The answer to that is maybe. Yeah. Here's something I've never heard preached in any church. You know, the first disciples you get called out of the boat, they abandoned their father, right. and the family business, right. Given the age they were and the time they lived, statistically, they almost certainly abandoned their wives and children. Yep. And that was God's where God was calling them. Now, yep. in the in the macro, we could say it's probably a bad thing to abandon your family, but Jesus will call us to violate that. So mm-hmm. how do we how do we wrestle with that idea and let it inform our reading of all of the gospel? Well, I think in part of the point that Jed is making is that we tend to look at, uh, if you were given your Christian uh, education and your, 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 if you were raised in a church that was from the culture that you are a part of, then you naturally have the sense of the culture and the Christianity all are one thing. And so yeah. it's all one good thing. So if God would call me to violate that cultural norm, that would be evil. Well, what would be evil about anything God calls you to do? By definition, I don't understand the thinking here. Also, culture never got anybody saved, so why do we care? Also, uh, you know, culture, uh, our, our culture and norms uh, are, are, you know, they aren't uh, uh, good in, in a spiritual sense, in a godly sense. So trying to live by that, I don't think is uh, is anywhere co- should be anywhere co-equal with trying to follow God. But God is not only going to call you to violate your culture's norms, but He's going to ask you to violate what comes natural to your personality. Mm. If you are a people pleaser, get ready for that yeah. to get torpedoed. <laughs> uh, if you are a natural introvert, God's going to say, "You know what? I think now's the time for us to come out of our shell." Uh, if you're a, a, a gregarious person that's bouncing off the walls, be prepared. The Lord might tell you, I think it's time for you to slow down a little bit and pay a little bit of attention and engage with people and get build some depth into this faster rather than bouncing off the walls. Go ahead and talk to the people that are in this church, those kinds of things. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, I think we have to get used to this idea of we think... Our th- things like our culture and our personality are sacred. I can't imagine why, but that's that's how we think, uh, you know, on some level. And God is going to call us to violate that. 
Uh, he's also, on the broadest uh, possible sense here, he is going to call you to violate your sense of religion. Uh, mm. That happened many, happened on almost every page of the gospel, that Jesus is doing something that the religious people were saying, well, that's not how you be religious. You know, that's, you're, you're, you're breaking with our traditions. You're breaking with uh, the way that we do uh, worship. We're, you're breaking with the way that we handle ourselves and all these different kinds of things. Uh, God will call us forth from that because we, it, to the extent that we're imprisoned by those things, we can't find a happy and fulfilled life. We can't follow him and serve him in the way that we want to. We're not really free. And once I get to a place where I say, I'm committed to what the Lord is calling me to do, regardless of where he leads, then I can find a freedom, then I find a fulfillment, then I find a purpose. I can't say, let me have that, plus everyone thinks I'm cool, and everyone approves of how I do things. That's serving two masters, and it's not going to work out. It's absolutely right. That's a very good thing about serving two masters. You yeah. should carve that. I should something. carve it into a faux cherry plaque. <laughs> if you did, I would buy it for $39.95. Wow. But not a penny more. Not <laughs> a penny more. I would Market insist decides. on free shipping via Prime. <laughs> right. Okay. So I, I think that's all really great stuff. I'll, I will add one thing on here to tie this back to. Ty Glenn was saying back to a, a very, very good point that Jed made last episode about we were talking about uh, the Old Testament laws and how they apply to us now. And he uh, made the point, an unattributed quote to go with the theme of the day of when God says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. I think it's a very good way to, to phrase that. And I think I would think of these cultural things as there's always, always, always God calling you to change out something surface level for something that has actual depth. Yeah. So in the case of this, you know, why do you want to go to this funeral? Well, because people will think I'm a good son. And it'll look, you know, and I'll maybe I'll get a little sympathy at all these nice things that uh, almost certainly going to be baked misery. I don't know. I, I don't know if anybody's ever been to an enjoyable funeral. I certainly haven't. So to put this off is almost say, well, I think I want a surface level thing people to perceive that about me where Jesus is saying, why don't you forget about that and do this thing that will be a lot deeper than that? And we look at these cultural things, which are all, almost always surface level, kind of by their very definition, they're, they're kind of skins that we put over things. They're ceremonial, they're perfunctory. Um, we're being actually trade that out for something that has an actual depth and an authenticity. And it makes sense to, to kind of brusque at that. It makes sense to not immediately want to do that. It makes sense, as Glenn is saying, to kind of bargain, can I have the surface thing that looks good and the deep thing if they're not the same? But whenever we're hit up, uh, to do this, which everybody is at some point, it's worth uh, thinking about it in that way to figure out, is this something God is actually calling me to reject? What is he calling me to to pick up on? As we're saying, you know, to go to Jed's very good example, God is not saying you don't have to stick to the cultural norm of niceness just to give you free reign to be a jerk to people in church. He's saying, why don't we have actual constructive relationships that have things like trust and honesty in a pl as opposed to niceness, we're always trading out something that's not satisfying for something that is when we do those things. All right, we'll move on to our second question. Comes in anonymously to our Tumblr, and it says, I must admit, I often catch myself boasting about my look, my beauty. I know it's wrong, but I can't keep my eyes off me. Tell but me I think about it. <laughs> you're speaking Glenn's song right here. That's right. Then I think one day old age will wipe it all away. How do I stop being obsessed by vanity in a world full of it? And Jen, why don't you kick us off here? Well, let's let's Bible this for a second. So I'm going to read you, I'll tell you a bit of background, I'm going to read you a Bible verse. So story is Saul is the king over Israel. Saul has his struggles, and at a certain point God says, all right, I don't, I don't want him to be king anymore. So he gets his prophet, his name's Samuel. He says, I'm going to show you the new king. So take a journey. This is where he lives. You know, there's a dad. He's got a bunch of sons. It's going to be one of the sons. So go over there, and I'll point the right guy out to you, and you'll, you'll do a whole thing, and then we'll know who the next king is going to be. And Samuel says, right. So he goes, and he sees one of the sons. And the Bible says, this is if you want to check it for yourself, it's 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel sees the guy, and he says, clearly, this is the dude. That's a king right there, fellas. That's it. And then, this is 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. 
The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, that sounds very churchy and Bible-y. Your appearance, apparently just, it doesn't matter, and it means nothing. Except that we read a few verses forward in the same chapter. This is verse 12. It turns out they go through all the sons. There are a lot of sons. They go through all the sons, and God keeps saying, nope, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him. Finally, they're out of sons. And Samuel says, is it? Is this it? Is it no more sons? And they say, well, I mean, we do. We got the one other, but he's, he's out with the sheep and the goats. Oh, no, no, I got to see him. I got to bring him. So they sent, and this is uh, 1 Samuel sixteen twelve. So he sent for him and had him brought in. And he, this being David, he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Having good looks didn't make a person the person God chose. That didn't, he's handsome, so he's got to be the Lord's anointed. And yet the Lord's anointed was good looking in this case. Right. So what does, that, what does that mean? What do, we, what do we do with that? Well, here's the thing. We had um, a pastor from Chicago named Reverend Julian DeChazier on the show a couple years ago. He's a great dude, and he was talking about privilege, and what do we do with privilege as Christians, and what does it mean? And one of the things he was pointing out is that we all actually have privilege in our lives. We have it in varying ways and varying extents, but we all have privilege in our lives, every single one of us. And what really matters is, how do we submit that to the Lord and let it be a tool in his hands? If you're a good-looking person, that's a form of privilege in your life. Um, you didn't ask for it, you were, you were born with it, but it is a form of privilege in your life. And so we could deny that we have it. We could pretend we're not good looking, but that's failing to use a privilege God has given us. It turns out in the case of David, people would much rather have a good looking king. Whether that makes sense or not, it's true. People want a good looking king, man. They do. That's just how humanity works. Um, Similarly, you could look at your looks as, it's definitely a privilege. I think you could also look at it as a gift in the same way that God gives everybody gifts. Um, You are of above average looks. I would like to think I have an above average singing voice. Now, here's the thing. That's a gift that God gave me. It's not that I'm so wonderful. It's just that he gave it to me. God gives gifts with two things in mind. The first is that we would enjoy them. Uh, and you have to use it to enjoy it. If you, right. if you don't use a gift, there's no possible way to enjoy it. So thing one is you enjoy it. Thing two is you bless other people with it. Now, if you pretend you don't have it, you can't possibly enjoy it, and you can't possibly use it to bless other people. If you obsess over it, you're definitely not really enjoying it, and yeah. you're definitely not using it to bless other people. So we find this weird thing, and the word that I think in a lot of ways we have to land on here is a word that Christians oddly don't talk about very much, and that word is responsibility. Mm-hmm. That I must use this thing I've been given in a responsible way. In my case, I've been given an above-average singing voice. I have a responsibility to figure out what does it mean for me to use that in a godly way. It does matter. God has a plan and a purpose for that. It'd be easy for me to take wrong turns and go down a blind alley with it, either ignore it or be obsessed with it or be weird about it, but there's a way he does want it to be used where I'll have fun with it and it will be a blessing to other people. The same thing is true of your looks, man. If you've got above average looks, there's a responsible way to use that, a way that you will enjoy, a way that will actually bless other people, a way that will actually further God's kingdom. It's weird to think that that could be true, but but it is true. That's that's how privilege works. That's how gifts work. And if God has given you that, then it's about entering into that journey of figuring out what responsible usage looks like and recognizing God has something really cool waiting for you as you get that journey underway. It's a really fantastic place to start. And Glenn... Um as not one of, I believe you call us normies. Uh, I know this question is close to your heart. Yeah. Um, so, but I think there's a lot of very interesting stuff going on here. And I think uh, Jen makes a very good point that um, there are some particular cultural hangups about looks, which kind of play into this. But we all have stuff we are good at that other people mm-hmm. might be jealous of. And none of that makes the thing inherently bad. It just means we have right. to be conscious of it, right? Well, yes. I think um, there, there's a, a certain amount of, uh, whether it's privilege, as Joe was talking about, or money or uh, looks, uh, that engenders a certain amount of envy uh, in people. And the thing about envy is you think you want it from other people. You don't. You really don't. 
there is nothing pleasant about people envying yeah. you. You you think that'd be great? Like everybody wishes they were me. They were. They wish they were hanging out with me, man, and so forth. And that that means I'll always have friends. <laughs> uh, no, no. The, let me tell you about two things that will never occupy the same space: envy and love. To the extent that people envy you, the love is pushed right out. I mean, even just basic care and concern get pushed out. Uh, that's just that is not how those relationships work. If people uh, envy you and they they wish they had what you had, uh, that's an unpleasant thing. So, uh, getting ourselves into a place where we, um, you know, say, well, okay, you know, I've I've got all these looks. And I, I, I want to enhance that. I want to focus on that. I want to have it be inherently useful. Uh, it's not going to get me anywhere. As Jed's pointing out, it's what we do with those things. In other words, having a, a you know better looks might open certain doors for you the way money would, the way a talent would, as, as Jed's pointing out. And it's about what, what, what we do with it from there. You know, it's not about the thing itself. Uh, the 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 looks are are meaningless, and and whatever would come just from the looks would also be meaningless. That that's it, it, it's it's finding a meaning within that that we pursue, that we bring out. And, and when we talk about a meaningful life, we're talking about one that's dedicated to the Lord and honors Him and and points uh, that way uh, towards that. But I think it's about recognizing that uh, we tend to think that. Envy is about when I don't have something and I wish I had it. That's that's how most people would define envy and, and coveting something. You know, it's when you don't have something you wish you had it. But in reality, I think we covet the things we already have much more than we do the things we don't have. Rich people covet their own money. They They are obsessed with that money not going away. People who have good looks focus on their looks. You know, some of us look in the mirror and say, "That's a, there's a lost cause." See, you know, and then you just move on with your life. There's no obsession of, "Boy, I wish I," you know, because what? I mean, you can't turn back the hands of time here. There's no point in in, in wishing after those things. Uh, so you you move on to say I I I need to I need to be a substantive person because this face is not going to get me far. So um, I think we have uh, to recognize that the part of what I think you're feeling is that sense of of focusing on and coveting and valuing those looks in a way that you feel like well that value is only going to go away because it's going because the looks are going to go away. Uh, I, I think Judd's pointing out to us, uh, it's not about what you have, it's about what you do with what you have. It's about right. you know, taking those things and putting them to work for the kingdom, uh, whatever those things are. If you're pretty in the face, uh, maybe think about a career in acting. We, uh, Judd and I were talking to an actor uh, uh, earlier today, and he's a Christian brother, and what he's doing uh, to try and, and get into that world uh the, the the you know there uh, there's a lot of things that you can do with the resources that you have but just depending on the resources themselves and sort of focusing on and valuing those things you're not going to find a meaningful life it's a fantastic point i think it really does uh give us a, a good barometer on this cuz as both jed and glenn pointed out this is there's nothing wrong with being objectively good looking we will take a moment to point out that there is actually no such thing as a good looking person. That's kind of a, that's all subjective. So, but there's such a thing as, you know, there's a cultural standard of beauty. That's right. I have a liberal arts degree. I know about these things. Oh, um, but there's nothing r- saying that that's inherently useless or wrong or bad, but it is a very good point. Our question friend, our friend of the question asked, which is it is not long for this world. There's a, you might pull the Helen Mirren genetic lottery, but probably not. So, uh, Lee, I'm not sure this is so much about um, being overly focused on on looks as much as maybe being under focused on some other things. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the I love the point that that Jed made early on here about um, you know being able to use this in a way that that is pleasing to the Lord and enjoying it. You know, like Jed was talking about his 
submitting the singing to the Lord and also enjoying that. I think there's also just something to be said for enjoying um, who you are in proportion. Just like, hey, I, I, I like the way God made me. I like the way I look. Um, thanks. Thanks, Lord. And then now let's move on and find out what else life is about. So one of the things that that we find out in the scriptures is that every single person that has believed in Jesus has received a, a, the, the Bible calls it a gracing. Like you've received grace from Jesus, but you've also received a gracing. The, the Greek word is charisma. And you have like, it's kind of like you have a superpower to do something in the kingdom uniquely that, that only you can bring. It may be, um, it may be something about your physical self, but it may not be that at all. It may be the way you listen or the way that, or the way that you pray for people or something like that. What I would say is one thing that you can do is, uh, love who you are and who God has made you and then change the channel by going out and serving somebody. Uh, finding something to do that has absolutely nothing to do with that and figuring out, a- asking the question, how does Jesus want to use me? Not only in things that have to do with my looks, but in things that have nothing to do with my looks, uh, things that don't have to do with my physical you know, gifts at all, um, but just uh, things Jesus is calling me to do, things that things that he's asking me to do that I can answer that call and I can show up and do the thing and make somebody else's life better. And then you have this outward look. Um, one of the, one of the things that we can find out will give you the most joy is when somebody has a a physical need and you meet that need. There's a place in John chapter 13 where Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. And he says this really cool thing. He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And that word blessed is always a word that means happy. Um, there, is a, there is a joy and a health in finding out how can I make my life about meeting someone else's needs, uh, meeting someone's physical needs, meeting someone's emotional needs, being there for them, listening to them, using the gift that God has given me in some way to move his kingdom forward. I'm going to find some health, some proportion, and some happiness in that in a way that I can't find it anywhere else. Hey, that's all very, very good stuff these guys have given you. And it's on a fairly complicated topic, it must be said. Uh, one thing I will I will say on this, and one thing where I think it's it's odd, but I think our friend the question has a lot closer to something healthy going on than they might be giving themselves credit for. Um, one of his which is um, there's nothing inherently wrong with confidence. I think that gets put on people, particularly gets put on uh, women that you know don't have confidence. I didn't authorize you to have. I was reading a, an article the other day about a woman who uh, did an experiment where she decided she was going to only uh, respond to unsolicited comments that men had on her looks by saying, I know. And it will not shock you, probably if you're a woman who lives in the world, to know that a certain type of dude, this just enraged. Right. They want to say, well, thank you. I never, I mean, this is like one of those movies where I have pain on my overalls, even though I'm a supermodel. I never realized I was good looking until you told me. Right. They say, you are regular looking. I know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't. Whoa, whoa. You can't just right. have confidence, right. like self-generated confidence. Right, we can't right. have that running around. Right. The whole economy will tank if that happens. Right, right. So nothing, I think these guys will all point out very well. There's nothing inherently wrong with the attitude you have. You look in the mirror and say, I like what God did there, mm-hmm. A, that's biblical. You know, it says you're the work of God's hand and he knew you and made you and that that is what makes someone beautiful. And B, that frees you from a lot of hangups that a lot of people have. As, yep. these, guys, as these guys have all pointed out, I think the real question is there is, what can you do with it? Because you say, you know, how do I, the, the, for me, the crux of this question is that, how do I stop from being obsessed by vanity in a world that is vain? Which is a very good question. The answer almost always is be thankful to God for the whether that's beauty, intelligence, money, uh, sense of humor, uh, interpersonal abilities, get thankful about it because as always, these guys pointed out, these are things we no one generates in and of themselves. And as these guys have all pointed out, find a way to use that specifically to use that for someone who is underprivileged in some way. If you part of the reason you 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 like your looks, so you focus on learning how to do makeup. Um, there is a battered women's shelter or an LGBT youth center that uh, people in there don't know how to do that because they've had other stuff they had to focus on. 
So if you grab the makeup kit and go down and offer to help folks out, great. Um, being good looking affords a person a whole lot of social capital in our society. So if you use that to, to help out the lonely person in the lunchroom, that's as Christian as it gets. That's, that's using your thing, which is not inherently spiritual, for a spiritual good. And those are all muscles you will develop that if, as you know, the ravages of time roll on as they do for all of us, or if you, you lose whatever it is, now you'll have a way to plug in whatever God gives you and you'll have some reps on you turning around, turning that around and using it, which is a very good thing. And we will move on to our last question here. This comes in to our email address. It says, so I'm doing everything to be active in my love life, subscribing to dating sites, participating in activities with guys, etc. However, there's this guy that I see at church who I found handsome and interesting. He's several years older than me and seems mature. I've dated guys before who all ended up saying that they were not ready for a relationship. What does that even mean anyway? A fair question including a good friend of his. Now I feel weird being courageous around him since I've tried to make something happen with this friend, but things never worked out. We are on good terms. I don't think this is a question. I just wanted to vent a little bit. Any advice? And as this did come into the venerableuncleglenn.com, Glenn, why don't you kick us off? Well, yeah, I think first and foremost, uh, courage is a virtue. Uh, We can get confused about that sometimes in church. It seems like it's virtuous to be mamby-pamby. I don't know. I don't. Is, is that the original Greek? Yes, that's right. You know, I uh, I don't. Maybe or maybe not. I don't know. It's up to you. It's good to have to options. Say. You know, yeah, that that there's no virtue to that. Uh, you know, uh, having the courage of saying uh, this is what I want. Uh, I know what I want. I'm going to go for what I want. I'm not going to be ashamed of what I want. I have no reason to be, and I'm I'm putting that out there. That's that's virtuous. That's godly. That's that's yep. what God wants for all of us. Um, as as we were talking about in a previous question, that may not fit with the culture that you're in, and too bad for the culture. They're just going to have to adjust to how awesome you are. Uh, you you mentioned this uh, line about uh, not ready for dating. Uh, I think uh, in our experience, that almost certainly means one of two things. Uh, either they're, uh, you know, they're working through something. That might be a bad breakup. That might be I just finished flunking out of my classes and I have to buckle down and get some better grades. So um, I'm, you know, I'm, I need to focus on that. That sort of thing. Uh, so either they're working through something or they're listening to really unhealthy advice about dating. Uh, because a lot of unhealthy advice about dating is, ooh, <laughs> ooh, yeah. don't do it. You will, you know. Okay, so. <laughs> is that Jacob Marley's dating advice? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Just to be afraid, you know. So uh, someone uh, putting some sort of weird restrictions or some sort of weird legalism on that or some kind of a scare tactic would cause somebody to, to shrink back and say, oh, I'm not ready for that, you know, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass on this whole deal. Uh, you know, if someone says, uh, you need to be ready to marry this person you're dating, well, I just met this person, I'm not ready to date him, I, I'm not ready for all this, man. Then you know, uh, unfortunately, a pretty good amount of what we hear in terms of "I'm not ready to date" is the second of those two. Of I've, I've, they've heard bad dating advice, or just unhealthy dating advice. So uh, I think that may be a picture of, of part of what you're dealing with, especially if you're sort of have a social circle of guys in church who have sort of funny ideas about dating, or or they struggle to get their bearings with it. Uh, but I think the most important thing we want to say to you, and we, and we definitely accept uh, venting around here, uh, the most important thing we want to say to you is keep going the direction you're going. Yes. You know, that, that you get uh, how to do this in the right way, and other people need to follow your example. You need to blaze that trail and be comfortable with that and let other people adjust to you because you have the right heart, you have the right attitude. Let's Let's engage this process. Let's meet each other. Let's get to know one another. Let's see if there's a compatibility there. Uh, let's let these relationships develop or not on their own without putting any weirdness to that. And I, I think uh, if you can uh, be comfortable being a leader in that sense, 
uh, you'll do a lot of good for the other people uh, in your in your Christian circle. That's a really fantastic place to start off. And Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I think uh, the other aspect of what's going on here, other than the courage thing, is this, um, uh, and it ties into kind of exactly what Glenn said about that with the uh, the fear of kind of some people's fear of dating is that there are some red flags here. Um, but as we've mentioned on some other things, there's rarely is there such a thing as a universal red flag. Sure. There are some things that don't look good on paper that may look fine elsewhere. So there's a bit of an age gap and I try to date one of his friends and yeah, in a vacuum you might say, well, those aren't ideal, but they're not necessarily disqualifying. Sure. So how do we uh, go about uh, making sure we're applying to our specific situation? It's a great question, and for our question asker, we're sorry for the frustration. Um, you're yeah. you're clearly working hard. You're clearly doing a good job. Um, we are sorry for the frustration. As Glenn said, uh, keep going. This this will go where you want it to. It really will. Um, I think one of the things that I think you're already in the process of doing, but is before all of this, is we all have storybook romances that we believe in in our lives. Some of those are in the area of romance, but we all have storybook romances that we believe in in areas of our lives. And almost nothing works that way. Yeah. Part of what makes movies fun is the narratives follow the arc we wish life followed. That's why we go to the movies. Nothing in life works in a three-act story structure. Absolutely nothing. That's what makes the movies the movies. We, yeah. we love it. And, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying that. I mean, you know... All romantic comedies follow the exact same arc, as do all action movies. I mean, you know, this is this is a formula. We would all love to be a, I don't know, let's just say, for example, a successful local TV news pr- uh, um, reporter, and then we have a meet-cute at a party with a guy, and at first we hate him, and he's the worst. But then, then over time... At the end, she still hates him. That's right. That's the end of the story. <laughs> and, and to be clear, there's nothing wrong with that. Every action movie is the same plot. It's the same thing. Every, all movies are wish fulfillment. We, we, we have slightly different wishes. Oh, that 50-year-old white guy defeated that entire gang of people in hand-to-hand combat because of his inherent virtue. That's right. Just like it happens in real life. Yeah. <laughs> and it, there's no problem with enjoying the movies as long as we remember that they're movies. In real life, relationships aren't that cut and dry. They never actually work that way. There's no such thing as this perfect person, and we met in a perfect way, and, um, and then it was great. That, that just doesn't exist. I mean, here's the funny thing, too, is you might have heard stories in church from a pastor talking about the perfect way they met their perfect spouse. That's a highly edited version of that story, my friend. Highly highly edited version of that story. And I know because I could actually do the same thing with how I met my wife. I could tell you an edited version that's the perfect story of how I met the perfect person. And it would be technically true, but it would be leaving out a lot of details. A lot. Would it be leaving out the really cool romantic details? No, those we leave in. Oh, I see. The, the core romantic details stay. Right. The boring, awkward, not fun. Embarrassing. Yes. Embarrassing. All the embarrassing details yeah, go. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying that from the pulpit. You know, It's just the stuff that makes it sound cool. Now, again, it's not necessarily a bad thing as long as we're clear. This is a highly edited story. So what does this all have to do with you? What it has to do with you is, yes, in a perfect world, we'd love someone where we're the exact same age. In a perfect world, we'd love to meet someone where we don't even know any of the same people, so there could be no possible overlap. We don't live in that world. The world that we live in, let's start here. Do they love Jesus? Are they trying to sort things out in their own life? Are they attracted to you? I think we have the constituent ingredients we need to begin investigating this relationship. If, we, if we've got those three, I think we should go on a first date. I think that's great. You said that there's, you're on good terms with, with the buddy. If you really are, no problem. Is it possible someone will think something weird about that? Yeah, but man, people are going to find something to feel weird about about everything. Um, if you're actually on good terms, I don't see a problem with that. It's the kind of thing where 20 years from now, when, when you and this dude are married, you may neglect to mention that detail in the, <laughs> in the retelling. That's fine. Literally everybody does that. But as you're navigating this stuff in the here and now, idea, details being non-ideal is not a deal breaker. That's, right. that's not a problem because love is awkward. Love is weird. Love always has embarrassing components. That's okay. You're pointing in the right direction. 
Get a hold of that courage from the Lord. Take the next swing. See what you see. We've got your back. Really, really good stuff there. And Leah, I'd love to get you to, to close us out on this, because I think one of the things that both uh, Glenn and Jed have, have looked at a little bit, but it's worth pointing out here, is uh, another one of those kind of uh, uh, capital R romantic stories we tell ourselves about the world is, um, if you just do it the right way, then it will work out smoothly. So when the person says, you know, I'm doing everything, you know, I'm subscribing to dating sites, I'm participating in activities around, and I'm, I'm doing everything right, surely that should make this process easier and smoother, right? Well, not really. It makes it active. It gives you, a, a, as, as Jed was alluding to there, it gives you almost 100% chance that you will succeed at some point. Yeah. But it doesn't make it a predictably smooth thing. So how do we kind of deal with that in our mentality of I'm doing the right thing, but I'm still seeing kind of shaky results? Yeah, I think one of the things that's tough is exactly as you're saying, um, I'm, you know, if, if I'm doing this well and I keep, uh, I keep coming up against roadblocks, I'm not getting the kind of response that I'm hoping for. There's a couple things that can happen. One is the feeling of, well, maybe I just need to wear this person down. Um, and that's the kind of, for me, that's the point when I would say it's time to push on. It's time to push on, uh, move on to the next person. Exactly as Glenn's saying, exactly as Jed's saying, you're in motion. You're doing the right stuff. You got the right attitude about it. Like, okay, it's this, this person that you're into, he is, he's not ready for the awesomeness that you bring to the table. And you deserve to be with somebody who feels like he won the lottery just by hanging out with you. Um, and, but I think that a couple things hang us up on that is I think I'm doing this the right way. So I think eventually I should be able to wear this person down. Uh, that's one hang up I think that we have, but another hang up that I think that we have is the feeling of, oh no, it's always going to be this way. This is what's always going to happen to me for the rest of my life, henceforth and forever. And that's another thing that we want to push back against. One it doesn't have to be this person. Two, uh, it it's not going to always be this way. Um, what if I could do anything? It would just be not only to, to to encourage you, not only to go to the Lord for that courage that you need, as these guys are saying, but also to go to the Lord and ask Him to give you to give you a sense of hope, to give you um, a hope about the fact that we're not always going to be in this exact exact same situation. And that if you're doing this the right way, uh, you're active, you are, you are pursuing this well, you've got a great mindset, a great attitude about it, that somebody is going to recognize the awesomeness that you're bringing to the table, even if this guy is unsure about it. Um, exactly as Glenn was saying earlier on this, sometimes when a person says, um, some of the things that the, some of the feedback you're getting, it's because, you know, there, there's a, there's a time in their life, they're doing a certain thing in college or with a job thing or whatever. Predominantly when those kinds, when you're getting that kind of a feedback, unfortunately, and this is kind of a tough word, but predominantly it, it means it's a no. And the thing that, the thing that I would encourage you on in that situation is, Hey, go move on. Uh, don't be afraid to move on and keep doing exactly what you're doing with the, you know, the next person, the next person that you find, the next person that you're, that you're going after. Um, somebody is going to understand, um, how awesome it would be to be with you. And, uh, that's what we're praying for, for you. And we want to encourage you to keep that hope and, and, uh, and just keep your attitude up as, as you're doing what you're doing, uh, in the way that you're doing it. That's absolutely right. It's, it's a point that I hear Glenn often make to the guys and gals we work with at the bridge, the idea of um, if you apply good advice, if you do the right thing, that pretty much guarantees an outcome, but it does not in any way guarantee timing. Right. So that does, but that doesn't mean what you're doing isn't working. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, if you fill out a hundred job applications, you will get a job. It just, you don't know if that's going to be one or 99. Right. So you just kind of have to keep in the right way. So, you know, if you're on the right strategy with, being active in your in your own life and moving towards goals you're going to this kind of goes back to what we were talking about in a previous question of you know identifying what you want to going after it that that is the way to get it so don't don't let the discouragement pile up on that all right if you have a question for us say that podcast gmail.com the bridge chicago.tumblr.com take out the song from the pool house guru this is his version of when i survey Ooh. 
the wondrous cross. Yeah, that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast gently reminding you in the Lord to get your narrow butt to the foot of the cross. Carve that into a plaque. <laughs> <laughs>